Be set apart. Just kidding. Um, what is, uh, my name is Andrew. For you that do not know me, um, I am a college resident here, um, focusing on freshman ministry, um, and I'm so excited to see you guys. Like Adam said, if you guys are coming to Easter, um, and you, you want to come with a bunch of college students, come at 12. If you are like me and my wife, and you're like, let's get up early, and you're hitting the 7.30 a.m. service, hit, hit me up. We can sit together, and then we're serving donut holes after it, so come be a part of that. Awesome. So, as, as you guys know, or for some of you guys that are new, we are walking through the book of 1 Thessalonians, um, and we have spent the last three weeks um, walking and kind of, not trudging, but moving slowly through the first three chapters, right? Um, if you want to hear those sermons, I'm going to throw a plug. Um, as you may have seen that we have all of our sermons up on Spotify and Apple now uh, under Mountain View College Ministry, I think is the name of it. Um, go back and listen. Um, you will be blessed, um, especially from the last two of um, Nick and Matt. But as we start coming this book, we're coming kind of to a head, right? We're, we're, there's only five chapters. We're over halfway through. Um, we're getting to this point where the book is starting to, to kind of take this flip. Um, so the first three chapters of what we've seen is Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica, like how much he loves them. He's like, guys, I love you so much. And I just want to encourage you to continue chasing after the Lord. So he, he starts by going back and talking about how um, he is a minister of the gospel and how he was like, I didn't do anything to cause the gospel not to come to you. Um, and, and later on, he starts talking about the struggles that they walk through and how they labored together when, when the whole culture and community was against them. And eventually, he gets to the point of saying, like, man, I had to flee from all of you. And, and that's the first three chapters of the book, talking through these exhortations or encouragements to tell the believers to keep on going. But now, starting in chapter 4, we, we begin this flip where Paul goes from encouraging to start talking about how to live out these encouragements. Right? He gets to a more practical place. And what I want to do is, before we get into chapter 4, I want us to go back to the very end of chapter 3 because I think these last three verses are really kind of the, the thrust and the push for the rest of the book. So it'll be, oh, I think that's on me to push it now. Perfect. Um, in chapter 3, starting in verse 11, it says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father of the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Right? What, what I want us to focus on here are two things um, that I think he's pushing us that we're going to talk about here in chapter 4, at least the beginning of chapter 4. He says in two different parts, he says, may the Lord increase you and may the Lord establish you. And then he gives the reason. May the Lord increase you to abound in love and may he establish you in holiness. And so that's what I want to do tonight. I want us, my main goal for, for tonight is for you guys to walk away seeing that by God, we are established in holiness through our laboring of love towards others. I'll say that one more time. By God, we are established in holiness through our laboring of love towards others. Right? Um, 
So I want to start with this. So um, as many of you guys know me, some of you guys don't, um, I'm not what you call like outdoorsy. Um, if you look at me right now, you're like, this dude probably hasn't hiked in like a year. And I, you know, I'd say, absolutely right. I'd much rather sit on my couch and watch documentaries about people hiking. Um, so, but there was a point in my life where I, you know, I sat back and I was like, you know what? I'm going to be the granola guy. So I started growing my hair out. I started wearing chacos. I still own them. I don't ever wear them. Um, my wife's always like, why do you have these? I said, it's because one day I'll be outdoorsy again. I live in Colorado, right? Um, but um, this summer, this year, I would say, um, I was working at a summer camp, um, an outdoor summer camp, and we would, we would go hiking every day, and we did all these things. Um, of course, I'd always go back to my A-seed you know, room, which was great. Um, but um, what would happen is we would have a big group come for about five days, and then we'd get a day off. We'd have a big group come for five days, we'd get a day off. And that was the rhythm um, every single week. But for some reason, we got two days off. And so my friend, who is very outdoorsy, was like, we should go hike a mountain. And me being the wannabe outdoorsy person, I was like, let's do it. Let's get up at 4 a.m. and drive 10 hours to get up on this mountain and start hiking. Um, knowing my friend, that did not happen. We left, we were supposed to leave at like 5 a.m. We left at like 2 p.m. So we're hitting the road, and we're driving, and we get to Guadalupe Peak, which is the highest point in Texas. It's 8,000 feet up in the air. It's not a mountain, okay? But in Texas, we're like, it's a mountain, right? We're flat with little hills. So we're, we, get to, we get to the base of Guadalupe Peak about 4 p.m., right? Um, it had been a long night and a long day, and we get there. We're like, okay, let's start hiking. I said, it's getting dark in three hours. What are we doing? He's like, dude, we're just going to get up there. We're going to keep walking. So he's like, just follow the trail. So we're hiking. And to tell you that I was not dying, understand. I'm sitting there, I'm like, I don't want to go into this again. I'm like, I'm only like 4,000 feet up in the air. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is absolute death. I have this backpack and I'm like leaning over. And this is how far I went. I, I, all the girls, I was like, man, your pack looks so heavy. Let me take yours. And I give them the heavier pack and put on the lighter one. I scammed hard. Um, but we go and we're starting. We, I'm sorry, it happened. I, I had asked for forgiveness. Um, we, get to, we, get, we start getting up, getting up, and eventually it's like 11 p.m. And my friend's like, okay, we need to find a place to sleep because we're going to get to the peak about 1 a.m. right now. It's about two hours the rest of the way, and we can't like, get up there at 2 a.m. It's terrible. So we find this place. We camp out. Um, of course, like me, I'm like this city boy, um, and I'm like, are there bears? Like, what if a bear comes and gets me? Like, oh, my gosh. So I'm in this hammock, freezing cold, and I'm like, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this. And um, my friend's, he points up to the peak from where I'm at. Uh, is it the next one? Sweet. Um, so this is what I see. My friend's like, dude, the peak, look. He wakes me up, he's like, dude, look, the peak. And I go, dude, I swear, if this is what I'm looking at, I'm throwing you off this mountain. <laughs> like, this is awful. So he, I can't really see. It's dark, and he's like, just follow the path. Just look in front of you, follow the path, you'll be fine. Well, we start getting to the top of this peak, um, and the, the, the path's about this big, and then there's a complete drop-off. So I'm like, well, this is great. I mean, I may die here at the age of 22. So we start walking, and we walk, and we walk. And eventually we get to the top, and we sit down. And the sun begins to rise. And I begin to see the beauty of what God had created. Even, even though we weren't like, like as high as you would be in Colorado, 8,000 feet is a lot in the air, especially when you're looking that far out. And I remember sitting there, and there, there became this awe of me of like, man, God is so good. And this was the group that we went with. Um, 
You can see, oh, look at little Andrew back there thinking he actually knows what he's doing. Um, but like, this is, this, this is how Texans live. They put this massive like, statue to say, look how high we are up in the air. And it's not very high. But I remember walking away from this, seeing, man, God is so good. But the thing is, is that I had to walk where I could not see. And I had to walk with not knowing where I was going to end up. But all I knew is that I had to walk. And that's where we come as we start um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, is Paul's going to start by by encouraging the believers. He's saying, man, keep going, keep going. And here he's going to bring into this idea of walking. And sometimes the walking is not what we can see, or the end point is not always visible. So if you guys want to read with me, um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. It says, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us to impurity but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia, but we urge you, brothers, do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So Paul comes to them. He, he, he's writing this letter. He's starting to turn this idea of saying, hey, guys, like encouragement, encouragement. Now this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. And he starts with this idea of walking. Paul says here, he says, how you ought to walk. Um, He says something extremely similar in Colossians chapter 2. He says, therefore, as you receive Christ the Lord, so walk in him. Right? Paul is using this idea of walking towards the Lord, right? It's this active movement. Um, He's telling them to walk in the way they receive. So what he's saying is Paul didn't just come to Thessalonica and say, here's Jesus, I'm leaving. Right? No, he said, here's Jesus, here's who he is, now let me teach you how to walk. Let me teach you how to live. Let me show you the way that God is calling you to be. Um, And what we're seeing from the the Colossians is that this type of walking first has been received from Jesus. There is this reminding the people that for them to be built up in holiness, which is what we'll see, is they must be in submission to God. This idea of walking, if, you, if you're asking, what does that mean? It's not just walking the path of being a Christian. It's being under the submission of God. And you may ask that question, what does it mean to be under his submission? Well, to be under his submission means that we are to be obedient and obedient to his commands. In 1 John, um, which John chapter, 1 John chapter 5 is one of my favorite verses on this. It says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Obedience requires of us that we keep his commandments. And to keep his commandments, we must first know his commandments. Right? We, we can't just keep things we don't know. Right? It'd be like you going to school and your like, professor handing you a test of things you've never studied before. Um, that would just be awful, right? Because you've never learned it. Christ doesn't, call, 
Christ calls us that we are to keep his commandments because we know his commandments. And the place that we can find his commandments are in his word. So Paul is getting um, the Thessalonians to remember and to see like, okay, if I am to walk, then that means I'm under the submission of Christ. And for me to be under the submission of Christ means I have to be obedient to Christ. And for me to be obedient to Christ, I have to know what I have to be obedient to. And so Paul is pushing the believers here to be in God's word, right? Um, As we read the Bible, we understand that we we are continued to be shaped and molded um, when we allow God's, we sit under God's word and we let it change us, right? We cannot be Christians who say we walk after the Lord if we are not people that are actively in his word. That would be like you being in a dating relationship and saying, I love this person and, and only talk to them like once a month. Like, it doesn't work that way. It requires something of us. To walk means that there's something in us that is driving and chasing after the Lord. And we understand that God has revealed himself in his word to us. But what I really love about John chapter 5 is, because most of the times we see reading God's word is maybe a burden, maybe it's something like, hey, a checklist you need to go through. But what I love about this verse is John comes here and he says, and his commandments are not burdensome. As we grow in the Lord, we learn God's commands and they aren't burdensome because they aren't just a list of rules that we check off, but a way we get to draw near to him, a way we get to commune closer to God, to a father who loves us oh so deeply. God's word is not just something we get into, right? We we have to understand that God's word is a water to a dry and worn out soul that has been wandering in the desert. It is breath to the heart that is drowning and is about to go under. It is joy to those standing at the edge of a pit of despair and ready to give in. We look not to God's word as something just to read. We find our fulfillment in God's word. Right? There's this this pushing by Paul to understand that as they continue to walk, they must be in God's word. When we look at our lives, the question Right? We, we always ask is, how well am I walking? And we start, to, we start to put the good and the bad. We start to say, well, I've done these things, but I haven't done these things, and I've done, right? And, and that's not the way the Lord looks at it. Right? He, he's saying, like, have you communed with me? Are you in relationship with me? Right? They're, they're walking. And, and the thing is, is for a lot of us, we may be walking this path of Christianity and moving and going, but the thing is, we can't see what's at the end. We only see what the next step is in front of us. And that's difficult, and that's hard, and that's not easy for us to do. And just like me, when I was walking up this mountain, and I didn't know where I was going, I didn't know what to expect. But when I got to the top, I saw something beautiful. There was, there was a purpose for all of it. There was a reason I went to the top. I got to experience the beauty of Christ. I got to accomplish this. And there does, there's, not a, there's not a day that goes by that if you talk to me about the beauty of Christ that I don't go back to this moment and I, be, and I think and I behold the images that the Lord gave me. But just like us as we walk, just like Paul is pushing the, Thess- the Thessalonians, what is the goal of our walking? What is God trying to do with us to walk in the way that we are called to? And he gives us the answers here in verse chapter 3. It says, for this is the will of God your sanctification. Paul is wanting them to see what their, their walking is leading to. Their walking leads to sanctification. 
And if, if you're not sure, if like sanctification is a new word, it's like a big word, I'll give, it's right here. Sanctification is the process of becoming more like Christ. Or another word you may hear for it um, is God's will is for them to become holy, which is meaning that they are set apart. So God's plan for us, for, the, for us to walk is that we become more holy. We become more like him. And, right, and we, we talk about being in God's word. God's word is what's transforming us to be holy. Right? As we get closer to him, as we draw more near, as we walk this path to one day that we'll be with him forever, we realize that we are becoming more holy in the process. And that's what Paul is trying to get them to. It's like, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. And so we come, uh, and then, like I said, it, it requires something of us. Um, and so as, as we go through the rest of these things, what I want us to focus on is that as Christ is building us and pushing us to this holiness, right, it requires something of us, right? Um, I think of it this way. It, if you go to the gym here, right, um, you don't go to the gym and you just, like, walk to a bench and, like, sit down there and, and like, look around. I know some of you guys have definitely been to the gym and there's people just sitting there on their phones. Um, the gym I go to, if you go in the afternoon, there's these high schoolers. They don't do anything. They just stand there and flex and are taking pictures. And it's like, dude, what are you doing? But back to the point, that's a sidetrack. Um, right? We don't go to the, if, we, if you go to the gym, you're, like, you're trying to get in shape or you're trying to get stronger, but you don't like, just walk over and like, sit down and be like, ugh. An hour later, okay, I'm stronger right? Like, no, it requires something of us. Like, we go to the gym, and we, we lift weights, or we jog, or we run, or we run outside. Like, there is this action and this movement, and it requires something out of us. And that's exactly what Paul is getting here to. He's saying, for the will of God is your sanctification. And now, he's going to talk through and walk through what it would look like to be sanctified. But he gives us this caveat. As I, as I said, let, to go back in the end of chapter 3, um, and I said... <clears throat> by God, we are established in holiness through our laboring of love towards others. So by God, by God alone, are we changed and made holy. And he does this by establishing us in holiness, but he does this through the labor of love. Christ begins to make us more holy as we begin to love people more. When we make the action. Like, love is an action. Love is not easy. Love is not something that we just run through. When we begin to live out the action of love, the Lord makes us more holy. And I want to kind of give an example of sometimes how love is very hard. I'm going to tie my shoe because I keep looking at it, and I know people in the front are like, dude, this is annoying me. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, um, so I want to give this example way off to us. Um, so, who here has ever heard of Nims Persia? Boom. Perfect. Nims Persia. Nims Persia is a Nepalese man, um, and if you've, uh, he has a Netflix documentary um, called 14 Peaks. If you want to check it out, it's great. He's up, right? Um, another plug. But Nims Persia was a man. He was in the military. Um, he did all these things, but he was a Nepal Nepalese man. Um, and if you know anything about Nepal, Nepal has some of the highest peaks in the world, like Mount Everest, um, K2, just many, many peaks. Um, and so what is known is that the Nepalese people are, are like the backpackers, the Sherpas that take people up Mount Everest, and no one ever talks about them. Like you get up and you take a picture, but you don't realize like these people are like feeding you, giving you water, like dragging you up this mountain to make sure you get there. 
Well, Nims Persia never really hiked a ton, came to this point of saying, I want to make Nepalese climbers famous. So he goes and he's going to climb the 14 death peaks. So what this means is over 26,000 feet up in the air, um, it's called the death zone. So pretty much what happens is oxygen is so low that if you are up there um, for any amount of time, your body begins to shut down on yourself. So the fastest person before him was climbing these peaks, took him 10 years. Nims Persia said he was gonna do it in eight months. So when you get up this high, you have to have oxygen. There's all, these, um, there's all these risks and all these things. And so he's just barreling up these mountains. Like this dude's, like, if you see the documentary, you're like, this dude's crazy. Um, but what happens is one day he gets to the peak and he's coming down. And these mountains are climbed all the time by different people. And he comes across a man um, who's dying. The man had run out of oxygen. Um, he was there. He was in a thing called haze. And if you guys have never heard of haze, it stands for high-altitude cerebral edema, which means you start, um, you start getting an immense amount of pain, you can't walk straight, you start hallucinating. Well, Nims comes up to this man who's dying, and he, he like calls on his radio, calls down the base camp, hey, we need people to come up here and save him. And pretty much everyone was like, we're not, he's dead, just leave him to die. And so Nims looks at this guy and realizes he can't do that, and so he takes off his own oxygen, and he puts it on this man, and he starts to drag him in like a sled down this mountain. But he's so high up, like he doesn't have any oxygen. His body is exhausted after doing these peak after peak after peak. Well, Nims starts to get haze. He, he tells these crazy stories that you can go and watch the documentary and listen to, but he talks about all these, these hallucinations and he's not walking. He thought he was going to die. He said, to save this man, I will die. Um, somehow he makes it through um, for a lot of different reasons that he talks about, but he gets to the bottom and what I find interesting is that Nims did not know this man, but he made the choice that I, I'm going to love this man enough that I'm going to risk my own life. I'm going to give up my comfort of oxygen that's going to keep me alive. And I'm going to push through. And so as I, talk about, as I talk about how God is creating us to be holy through the laboring of love towards others, what I, what, I, what I see Paul doing here in the rest of this chapter, or the rest of what we're reading, is he starts talking about these things that get in the way of us loving, right? The things that hold us back or divert our attention from loving people well. And so I, I, want, us to, to, I want to highlight these three things um, as we start talking and asking these questions, because I think it's so easy for us to walk out of here going like, okay, like I want to walk in the Lord, and, and, and as I walk in the Lord, I know he's making me more holy, and inside of this process and this walk, I have to love people, so let's just go love people, right? I, I've sat where you've sat, I've heard the go love people, and I walk out, and usually just something flutters and makes me miss the path, miss the loving people, and I think Paul realizes that, and so he brings us here um, to understand that. And so we'll start right here at the end um, where we left off in chapter three. It says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. <clears throat> um, so I'll just kind of go in the history of this is like, I think a lot of people read this and think that Paul is like solely talking about like for everyone to abstain from sexual immorality, which he is. Um, but what, what's happening in this culture is what it's widely believed is that um, the church wasn't necessarily struggling with sexual immorality, but we have to understand that Thessalonica was in a Greco-Roman world that was filled um, with sexual immorality, 
right? You have to realize these people, um, they had no moral standards or law that governed them from sexual sins. Their culture was filled with fornication, idolatry, pedophilia, wide variety of pornographic and erotic perversions. All these things were accepted and they were desired by their culture, right? They even had like temples for foreign goddesses. Um, they talk about this goddess Aphrodite, if you know Greek uh, mythology, like Aphrodite, her temple would have hundreds upon hundreds of these pr women prostitutes and, and people would come and sleep with them because they, got, they thought that it communed them with Aphrodite and they got to experience something. Like their culture was so deep in this wicked and evilness. And it wasn't just like around them. The people took pleasure in this. Like this was like, like a daily activity. It's the way that I look at it is like, man, if I could go golfing every day of the week, I would because I love golfing. But how wicked they were is they would actively do these things, pedophilia, erotic things, having sex with their best friend's wives like it was nothing. It was a wicked culture. It was full of sexual immorality. And Paul was coming to them, yes, to say, hey, abstain from sexual immorality, just like I would tell you the exact same thing. But what he's doing is He's using this as an example because the greatest sin, the greatest temptation in the culture around them was sex, was the action of it, right? It's the same calling for us that we live in a culture, maybe not as far gone as that in the way of sex, but I mean, we're, we're moving towards it. We live in a culture that's filled with so many evil things, so many things that, that take the view of loving God and loving others and puts it on ourselves. How can I fit in? How can I be fulfilled? How can I live out the things that I want to do? We are not to be people of culture. We are to be people against culture. And, and I don't mean that to say like, live as a hermit, right? Like don't just live under a rock and just like be a person that's like, I don't want culture. Like I only talk to Christians, right? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, we live in a culture that takes a good thing that God created and they manipulate it and change it. I'll just use Paul's examples here. So for us, it's to understand as Christians, like sex is a good thing. But it was created to enjoy in a marriage covenant. The culture we live in today, the one that you are walking, says sex is a good thing and we should be able to have sex whenever and with whomever. Another example I think of greatly is alcohol, right? God created alcohol as something to enjoy. And his only stipulation is like, don't get drunk with it. Don't let it own your life. But we, the world we live in, the culture that speaks into our lives says alcohol is a good thing and we should use it to become drunk because it makes life more enjoyable or get drunk so that you can hide your pain and your suffering behind something. What, I'm, what Paul is saying here is to love people, is to not let the world change us to be more like it. He's saying as the culture comes and it tries to mold us and shape us and change us, we have to reject it. And that doesn't mean we step out of it forever. It just means we don't, we, like we realize it and we think through it and go like, that's not good for me. We must deny the culture as we begin to love people. The second thing I see, um, um, it says, 
um, in the next verse that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. The second thing I see is like God, or Paul's calling, deny the culture. Don't let what's around you change you. Continue on in holiness and loving people. He's, um, he uses the same example of sexual morality, talking about the control of our desires, not letting desires control us, right? We all understand this. Like we understand our desires control us. There's plenty of times that you've probably done something you didn't want to do, and you probably really wanted to do something good and you didn't do it because your desires pulled against it. Like we know the feeling of being controlled, right? Um, I'll kind of, this is probably not the best story to tell, but I'll tell it. Um, like I said, I enjoy golfing um, and I was golfing one day <laughs> with some friends um, and um, I, was, I, was, I was teeing off, if you know, if that's the, like the first hit, usually you tee off a box. So I, I tee off, I do, I really bad, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do it again. I, go, I hit it really bad again. I'm in a car, so I'm like gassing it across the, the fairway. I stop, I go and I hit again and I miss it. And in my heart, I knew I shouldn't have been angry because it's just a, it's golf. It's a dumb game. Um, but I turn over, I grab an old club, and I just turn, and I just start wailing on this club. And I, like, I was so angry, and I was so frustrated, and I threw the club across the fairway, almost hits my friend, and then I get over, I get it, and I smack it, and it breaks. And I was so mad. I just, like, kept going, kept going, and eventually I finished the hole, and I just walk away, and I sit in, my, sit in the golf cart, and it hit me. I was like, what was the point of all that? I, I play a bad round of golf. Like, I'm not going PGA. Like, but my desires inside of me, I, I, I gave in to something that, in the truth of things, I knew I shouldn't have done. We all know that feeling from the smallest to the biggest. We understand the struggle. And what Christ, I mean, what Paul is saying here is that through Christ, we are changed, that we no longer are dragged around to and fro from our desires. That does not mean that, like, you never give in or that there's not desires, right? What he's saying here is that we have the opportunity to, to really say no. And he uses this example that it is the non-believers, those that aren't in Christ, who have no control of their desires. And this does not mean, like, that non-believers can't have control of anything, that they're just wild doing whatever the heck they want. What it means is that we have been changed, that our desires are no longer selfish. They are no longer self-seeking. We now have the opportunity to grow and truthfully love other people. The thing is, is it, those not in Christ, yes, they may be doing good things, and they may have the desires to help, but it's all self-rooted in themselves. And I speak from a very honest place here. When I, I knew when I when I was not a believer, I, walk, I did everything for myself, even going and helping homeless, even going and helping someone, an older, an older lady or man help them. It was filled with this desire to fill in myself. But now in Christ, I have an opportunity to, to say no to the desires that build up Andrew. I can say no to the fleshly things that may hurt my brother or my sister. Love requires us to deny the desires of selfishness. And it's hard. It is so hard to kill the desires. But that's why it's so important as we talk about love, as we talk about these things, 
is what are we willing to give up? What are we willing to allow to go? How far are we willing to walk without knowing what's ahead of us to be holy? Um, and the last thing I see Paul calling us to deny here, um, he says, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. So Paul is coming at the very end and says, live a quiet life, keeping to your own affairs and to work with your hands. Now, in the grand scheme of it, like when you really read it, I read, when I first time I read this, I was like, this makes absolutely no sense. Like he's talking about sexual immorality and then he's like, hey, live quietly, work with your hands, mind your own business. But what was happening in this day is that these new believers would come to Christ. And as we've seen in 1 Thessalonians, there's this great push of the second coming. Like Jesus is going to come again. He's going to save you. He's going to redeem you. He's going to bring you back to yourself. Um, and if you want to hear more on that, make sure you're here next week because that's what Adam's preaching on. Um, but they, they saw the second coming. So what they did is they just started quitting their jobs. They're like, God's coming soon. It's really, really soon. So they'd all quit their jobs. They'd all just meddle in the lives of other people. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. Like, don't give up. Like, Jesus may come soon, but it's not for sure. Like, continue working. And so he's pretty much telling him, like, you have been people who have lived these loud, crazy lifestyles, being in everyone's business, and just being lazy. He's like, continue working. Right? We must understand that love requires perseverance. It requires us to keep going and to not lose sight. I would be very honest and very probably open to say that most of you here probably don't have the intention to stop loving people. You just get too busy that you forget about it. If, if, if any of you guys have been here to an ocean before, um, I don't know who likes oceans. If you want to hear a really funny story about that, you can ask my wife, Lauren, about the time we were in Mexico. It's hilarious. But um, an ocean, right? So we look at an ocean. What we see is that an ocean has these currents that come up and they push back. We come up and push back. So if I was to take any one of you to put you in a tube and I put you right at the edge of the water, right in the, right in the base of the current, what's going to happen is you're, you're going to go out a little bit and you're going to come back over and over and over. This is all you're going to do, back and forth. But if I was to take you and I was to put you a little bit further out, where the undertow can grab you. You begin to come in and then really far out. Come in a little bit and then really far out. And before you know it, you are so far out that you can't even see the shore. And this happens all the time, right? We, we see, we hear stories of people saying, well, I was just sitting in like my tube or my, um, my kayak and all of a sudden, like I just wasn't paying attention and I didn't know where I was. I was in the middle of the water. It's not that they wanted to be out in the middle, stranded in the sea. It's the fact that they weren't paying enough attention, so they got lost in the process. The same way it comes with us. We don't really, there's never a point, I think, that we're like, man, I want to stop loving people. But we allow school and work and friends and situations to get in the way, and we just don't look around and see who needs it. Don't be idle. Deny the desire to be idle. And that doesn't mean slack on your responsibilities so that you can love people. What it's saying is learn how to walk in love in every which way. And that as you work and as you do these things, let love be an active part of that. 
Um, I'm just making sure I have enough time. Um, Paul ends with all of this by saying this. He talks, about, he talks about this idea of walking, right? He talks about this idea that we are walking towards Christ and we're becoming more holy through the love we have for people. But he says this, which is really interesting that he talks about, he uses the word walk again. He says, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Yes, by God, we are established in holiness through our laboring of love towards others. But what he says here is that we may walk properly before outsiders. Why? Because as we walk towards Christ, we become more holy, but the world around us also sees it. Um, he, he reiterates this in Colossians chapter 5. It says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Um, Paul knows that if we deny these things so that we love others, it will cause the world to question our fake Christianity that we live out of going, I'm going to church, I'm doing all these things. The world doesn't care. They're not going to see that and change. But when I love someone that doesn't deserve my love or I've loved someone that's wronged me, it shows. When, I give, when I'm giving up my time for something that doesn't make sense, people question that. When, when, I, when I don't let the culture infiltrate my life and I live differently, that's so stark to the rest of society, people question it. The way we walk in growing in holiness is not just for ourselves. It's so that we can be a light to the dark world around us. God will use the way we pursue in holiness and love the people around us to share the love of him to the world. Right? Paul is stirring the church to continue to grow in holiness by the way they love each other because it grows them and it opens up an opportunity for us to share the gospel. He's making sure that no distractions get in the way of that. Not the culture, not our selfish desire, not our, not our forgetfulness to become idle, but we see that love is not just something we force ourselves to do. Hear me when I say this. It comes from the relationship and love we have for Christ. The love that is grown by communing with him and seeing the love that he has for us. The love that he has shown to us. The love that we get to celebrate this weekend of Easter that a God came down from earth and loved us so deeply that we are broken and not worth saving, but he did it anyways to come live this perfect life to do exactly what we're celebrating tomorrow night where he died on the cross and bore our sins for nothing we could have ever done and nothing we could ever do for him. He is pointing us to the love that he had that is so deep for us, freeing us and allowing us to be in a relationship with him. We can go and love one another because we have seen and felt this love. One that was given when we were broken, hurting, full of shame and full of anger. One that will never reject us or leave us. A love that fills every emptiness, brings joy to the deepest sadness, holds us tight in the loneliness. We can love because he first loved us. Christ's desire is for us to come near to him and to experience his love and then go and love those around you, becoming more like him as you love others. Paul is calling the Thessalonians, just like he's calling you today, continue to walk. Walk in the way of Christ. And when, when the road in front of you is dark and you don't know where it's going, trust that, he is the, that the end is good. 
You are becoming holy. You are making your way to one day stand before him as you get into heaven. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter with me into eternity that we get to be with the Father forever. Continue to walk. And in that walking, love people. And don't let the world dictate how you love or change you. Don't let the selfish desires of your heart move and change things. And don't forget to love. And as you love, continue continuing on. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you um, for tonight. I thank you, um, Lord, that you, that, Lord, you loved us even when we don't deserve it and never have and never will. You loved us so deeply that you came and you saved us, Lord. And out of that great love that you had for us and the love that you show us, Lord, I pray we can go love other people. And as we, as we go and we love other people, you create, begin to create us to be holy, more looking like you. And I pray for these students in this room, Lord, that they would continue walking in the way that they ought to, striving to continue on to be holy and set apart through the way they love the world around them. And let that, Lord, be the light in the darkness. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Have you guys stand with me? No, uh, check, check, check. Yeah. Uh, two things I want to just highlight from this next song. Uh, you know, I.